I want to invite you, wherever you are, to stand for the reading of God's word. We come to the very last chapter of the Gospel of John as we have been studying the resurrection life. This is the sixth Sunday of Easter. And because of what Christ did on the cross and because he was raised from the dead, our Savior and Lord, we, his children, live the resurrection life. The encounter which we'll see today is one between Jesus and Peter and the author of this gospel, according to John. Wherever you are, stand now and listen as I read John 21, verses 18 to 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, as we open your word, we're grateful for the disciple, John. We're grateful, Holy Spirit, that you illuminated his heart and mind and carried him along to write this gospel, the gospel according to John. It's the story of the one true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of our Lord and Savior coming and living the life that we could never live and dying the death we all deserve to die. Lord, your words to Peter were very clear. And those words given to Peter are the same words that you give to all of your disciples. You follow me. Today, Father, wherever we are, we pray that you would elevate in our hearts and minds this calling on our lives, that we would leave today from this place and this time of worshiping you with a deeper love for you and desire to be obedient to the call that you've placed on our life for what a gift it is to know that you have made us your own. Bless us, remove from us anything that would distract us and let us hear your word, we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, Peter receives from Jesus two words after he has restored him with the question, do you love me three times? He then says to Peter, follow me. And as soon as Peter hears those words, 
John tells us in verse 20 that he turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Peter then begins to engage Jesus with a question about this man. And then Jesus gives him three more words, a three-word sentence that in its essence defines discipleship. He says to Peter, you follow me. You follow me. It's at the end of verse 22 of chapter 21. You follow me. The word disciple, not just the disciple of Christ, but any disciple means to, that it's a follower or a student that adheres to someone's teaching who accepts their beliefs and then attends to helping spread the news of whatever it is that their teacher or leader has proclaimed. In the case of every disciple of Jesus Christ, we are followers of him. In one way or another, he has said to us, you follow me. In gospel, in the gospel according to John, we see the significance of this following. John the Baptist first has his own disciples. These are women and men who followed John, who were listening to his words as he was proclaiming the promise of the coming Messiah. And then in verse 35 of chapter one of John's gospel, it says the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, again, followers at this point of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, one of those disciples was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew heard Jesus say, what are you seeking? They responded, speaking to Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, come and I will show you. And they followed him. Andrew knew that this was the Messiah. The Messiah told him everything he could have ever imagined. And now he goes to Peter and speaks of this being the Christ. Peter now is following Jesus. Later on in chapter one, it tells us about Philip and Nathaniel and how they followed Jesus. The other gospels record the story of the disciples following Christ. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Following another is the essence of discipleship. And if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, it simply means that we are following him. The calling that every disciple is given is the same. It is the call to follow Jesus. In the gospel of Luke and in Matthew, Jesus says, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That is true of every disciple, true of Nathaniel, true of Philip, true of Andrew, true of Simon Peter, true of John. You follow me. The call is clear to follow Jesus. But there is a temptation that counters that call. And that temptation is to turn. What I'd like to do this morning using these, this passage is to look at what took place. Peter heard Jesus say, follow me. But immediately we're told that he turned. He was tempted to turn his head away. And as he did, he became distracted. So this morning, I want to spend time first talking about this call. 
For every Christian, at whatever point they come to saving faith, it's because they have received the call. In our tradition, we call that the effectual call. And the reason that's significant is because behind the scenes of our lives, whether we're five years old, 25, 55, or older, when we come to saving faith, it is because behind the scenes, the Holy Spirit is at work. In our doctrine, we define effectual calling this way. Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, whether five, 25, 55 or older, we are convinced that something is wrong with us, that there is a need that only God can meet inside us. Well, that convincing is the work of the spirit, convincing us of our sin and our misery. The spirit goes on to enlighten our minds and the knowledge of Christ. He does that through his holy word. Ordinarily, it's through someone bringing that word to us in a sermon setting like this, or perhaps a mother reading to a child or a grandfather speaking to his grandson or a Bible study leader or a vacation Bible school leader, a friend at work. There are many ways God does it, but the Holy Spirit is the agent at work, enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills. In other words, we begin to change from the inside, a heart that was dead and unable to beat with any affection for God suddenly is being illuminated, suddenly is coming alive. The renewing of our wills takes place as the Holy Spirit doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. That was a pretty amazing statement. Simplifying it, it's this, that the Holy Spirit is at work even though we don't know it. He is the one who is illuminating our hearts and minds to believe the truth. He is presenting to us the condition of our soul while at the same time presenting to us the irresistible grace of Jesus Christ. And for all who truly are effectually called, that grace is irresistible. We can't say no. And God in his favor towards us calls us his own. This effectual calling is not an offer given to us by God. It is an operation by God where he's moving behind the scenes to take that which is dead, resurrect it and give it life. That statement is true of every follower of Christ and every follower of of Christ is a disciple. While that call to follow Jesus is clear, while that call to follow Jesus in many ways is simple to understand, it's also consistent for all of us. But what is not consistent is the journey that we're going to live the trek that we're going to be on as we follow Christ, that is not the same. The story of my life and the story of your life are going to be different. The age at which that effectual calling took hold of me is different than you. Some come to Christ very early in life. Some it's at a latter stage. Some come to to Christ in high school or college others in the middle of life where they're beginning to sense something isn't quite right, that that sin and misery. Some, it's not until they are in the twilight years of life, in many cases, facing the reality of death when they come to saving faith. 
In each case, behind the scene, it's the same work, the same Holy Spirit. But the stories are not the same. While there are many things in common, the path that God has us on, all the same, the narrow road, has many different journeys. What providences God brings into your life, what experiences he brings into my life, they will not necessarily be the same. The gifts that God gives his body, his church, the opportunities that he gives us, the personalities he gives us, the thorns in our flesh that he allows to be there. All of those things are different. And because of that, there is a temptation. The temptation is to turn. And you see it here. Peter is one of the original 12 disciples. And so is John, the one writing this gospel. Peter had a tremendous fall. There, Jesus spoke and told him to his face, you will betray me. He denied to Jesus that that was possible. They broke bread and Jesus spoke as John is lying there next to Christ with his head on his chest. And he speaks of another disciple who's gonna betray him and it's Judas, but they will all scatter. Peter didn't think scattering was possible for him, but Jesus said it would happen and it did. Three times Peter was asked if he knew the man or was accused of knowing the man, Jesus. And three times he turned in fear of that persecution and denied that he knew Christ. Well, now here on this shore, Jesus has fixed breakfast. Peter's eyes in the boat saw that it was Christ as he turned. He jumped out of the boat. He moved towards Christ. And then we know what happened. Paul preached on it last week. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter has been restored. He has been redirected. Jesus has said, follow me. But immediately, though the call was clear, follow me, there was a temptation. And the temptation was to turn. And that temptation is true for every disciple of Christ. We are all tempted to turn away from our Lord and not fix our eyes upon him. We can think of many things quite easily that cause us to turn. It could be possessions, position, pleasures, power, the praise of man, persecution. It could be any number of things. You could take any letter in the alphabet and begin to identify things that tempt you to turn. Fear, failure, you name it. But John gives us something very interesting here. What turns Peter's head is not something that we would look at and say it's evil. It's actually not something, it's someone. It's a fellow disciple. It's the one who's writing this gospel account. What John gives us is very important because it shows us that we can be um, distracted by things that actually aren't bad in and of themselves, but with an inappropriate concern or an inappropriate curiosity, we can find ourselves distracted from fixing our eyes upon Jesus. And that is what happens here. Peter 
It says in verse 20, turned. And he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, and it seems like there's no hesitation. It doesn't seem as if Peter's aware that this is going to be an inappropriate question or something that's going to incite Jesus's rebuke. Peter saw him. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? We don't know why Peter asked the question. We don't know if it was out of simple curiosity or concern. Peter has just been told the type of death that he is going to die, that he will be a martyr. He is going to be killed for his faith. And perhaps he's just curious, wondering about this other one who's following them from a distance. Again, he is a disciple too, following Christ. But Jesus responds very strongly. 22, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? That's a very significant question. What is that to you? What Jesus is saying to Peter is what my will is for this follower of mine is none of your business unless I make it your business. What is that to you? Peter, fix your eyes on me. Jesus says it in three words. You Follow me. I think what we see here that John was led to record, carried along by the Holy Spirit, is very significant. Even a fellow believer, a fellow disciple, a fellow follower of Christ can cause other followers of Christ, other disciples of Christ, to turn their eyes from being fixed on the will that God has for them. I know in my own life, so often my head is on a swivel, wondering about other people. It's appropriate to have concern, but Peter's moves beyond that, for that's what solicited Jesus's response. He moves into a curiosity that is not God's will for him to know. And Jesus in his rebuke of Peter reminds him, you must follow me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. So often when our eyes move from being fixed on Jesus, we begin to compare ourselves to one another. We begin to compare the various journeys that we're on. We might look at someone else's gifts and have envy or jealousy. We might look at someone else's experience and be so deeply concerned that we become bitter towards what that bitter providence is for them. There's so many things that appear to be good that can also be used by the enemy to distract us from keeping our eyes on Christ. And Jesus's words to Peter here are very important. What is that to you? You follow me. The message that Jesus gives here, this three word sentence is one over the last couple of weeks that I've just asked the Lord to press deeper and deeper into my heart and mind. It's so simple. You follow me. 
in this season, there is so much chatter, so many ideas, so many thoughts. The very first Sunday where I stood in this pulpit and preached to an empty sanctuary for the most part, that day I asked you, who are you listening to? That wasn't a question to be asked one Sunday. It isn't a question to be asked just on Sundays. It is a question that we need to ask ourselves time and time again. And what we must do is listen to God, his word and spirit. As followers of Christ, he has illuminated our hearts and minds and done everything necessary for us to hear his voice, to trust him. The call is clear. You follow me. But the temptation is also very clear. And the temptation is to turn. So how do we keep? How do we keep from turning? When so many things, things that are bad as well as things that are good, seek to occupy our gaze, our focus, how do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Well, I think the secret to that fixation is in the way John finishes his gospel. This hyperbole statement at the end is really pretty remarkable. Let me read it to you again. Verse 25, John says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, what is John's point? His point is that he didn't tell us everything. His purpose was to give an eyewitness account. His purpose was to reveal through the powerful work of the spirit, the truth of who Jesus is, that we might believe. But he did not tell us about each and every act that he witnessed Christ do. He didn't give us every teaching. He didn't give us every miracle. He didn't give us every rebuke. He didn't give us every conversation. And so he says in a very powerful and poetic way, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, the truth is the world couldn't. I'm not sure you know how many libraries exist in the world. I didn't, so I had someone look it up. There are 2.6 million libraries in the world. This is according to the International Federation of Library Associations and Institutions. The largest of those 2.6 million libraries is the Library of Congress. That library has 39 million books, 170 million items. Now think about that for a minute. 2.6 million libraries in the world and all the books that are on those shelves. The Library of Congress alone with 39 million books. According to John, if every book and every page recorded events in the life of Christ, we would still need more space. We would still need more libraries. Is it hyperbole, an overstatement to make a point? Yes, but don't miss his point. The one 
that we are following. The one who has said, you follow me is so much more than what we see in this one gospel according to John. Jesus Christ lived upon this earth as a man for 33 years, but he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a man who did just what was recorded. He was fully God, fully man, holy, set apart, unique. One of my favorite passages to remind me of the transcendence of Christ and the intimacy of Christ from, comes from Colossian. I'm gonna read five verses and I'm gonna encourage you over the days ahead to memorize this section of Paul's letter to the church of Colossae. This is what he says about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, one who has trusted in him when he said, you follow me, then the key to keep you and the key to keep me from losing my focus on him is to remember who it is that I'm following. You, Christian, and this is just for Christians, just for those who have professed faith in Christ, you who have responded to the one said, you follow me, this is who you are following. You are following the living God, not simply a teaching or a moral code. You are following the living God who has effectually called you to himself and affectionately called you his very own sons and daughters. You are following the living God who has sought you, rescued you, redeemed you, restored you, called you by name and made you his own. You are following the living God who is all powerful, all knowing, all wise, everywhere present and full of steadfast, everlasting love. You are following the living God who is for you. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 118. If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him 
graciously give us all things. You are following the living God who is leading you, who is with you, who will never forsake you. That is his promise. You are following the living God who lives inside you. You're his. He is the one who says, you follow me. He knows that we are tempted to turn. Even in looking at another disciple, even in an unhealthy curiosity about the will of God. And he says to us again, you follow me. His mercies made new each morning. You follow me. Look at me. Fix your eyes on me. This is the God you're following. Today, tomorrow, and forever. You follow me. You follow me. Father, this very short three-word sentence is the call to every disciple. We thank you for making that call clear. And we thank you for teaching us through this narrative what might distract us. And in that distraction, bringing us back to the wonder and all that there is so much more about you to discover. Christ Jesus, you're eternal. Colossians 1 reveals so much to us. Today, Lord, if there are any listening who know that they are not a follower of Christ, I invite you now, if you sense his calling on your life, to pray the sinner's prayer, confessing your sins to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, asking him to rescue you from your sin and surrender your life to him. If that happens to you today, it's a sign of his effectual calling. The Holy Spirit behind the scenes, doing what only he can do to convince you of this truth. If you pray that prayer now, or later today, please let someone you know that is a follower of Christ, that you have prayed that prayer. Lord, for all who have already prayed, they know that they are yours. They are true followers of Christ. Would you swell in us an affection and a desire and a gratitude to be obedient to that calling? And Lord, whatever good or evil thing seeks to distract us, would you let us hear again loud and clear, you follow me. This we pray in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ. Amen.